With 80 plus episodes in the vault and more than $3 billion in total compensation increases received by the Secrets Village, KP and PR are still dropping jewels. Secrets continues to validate that you are not crazy with the challenges faced in trying to reach and exceed your career aspirations. A listener describes Secrets as helping to pinpoint areas I need to develop in conversations I never knew I needed to hear. And season five will definitely not disappoint as they continue to deliver secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to increase your market value by building generational wealth. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have paid their dues to reach the top of corporate America, and they want to share their stories with you to transform your journey. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season five. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, what's going on today, my brother? What is up, KP? You know, as we head into the fall and school is in full swing, we know kids is laying their stuff out saying, I'm going to hurt them with this outfit tomorrow. You know, like mm-hmm. everybody's all excited about that. I really just started kind of thinking about all of the conversations we've had about education and the actual system, mm-hmm. you know, of it all. Mm-hmm. We've talked about your experience as a young child integrating white public schools. Uh, we've talked about educational redlining and how the lack of resources impact black and brown kids throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. And we've talked about the biases in how hiring managers look at degrees from various colleges and universities. Where did you go? That's right. HBCU, state school, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, all of these angles and more make it a difficult role for people of color to build generational wealth. And, you know, that's our thing. We talk about generational wealth all the time. All the time, because that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. You know, getting some coin and being able to pass it along to your people. And it makes me think about a question that we get all the time around, should I get an MBA? (laughs) That question comes up a lot. And it's a very nuanced question at the end of the day, because there's so many factors that go into determining if an MBA is right for you. It is just so many layers. But what I can say is, is that an MBA can be a differentiator um, in your career, if you use it strategically, mm-hmm. you know, if it's used in the right way, it can definitely be a turbocharge to your career. I will also say um, that the MBA, we know statistically, besides being a white dude, MBA is kind of one of the surest paths to executive leadership. Yeah. And again, I ain't trying to hate on white dudes, but we got the data. We, we've been showing these receipts for two years now that Hey, that that's the number one factor, and you get into the C-suite, but the NBA is like right behind it. Yeah, speak on it, Pastor Pal. I, I want to be like, well, <laughs> you're right, but uh, you do have a good point. I mean, even though we joke around about this stuff, like the shit is real, mm-hmm. okay? And if an NBA is one of the the keys to reaching the executive leadership, then we need to look at the pipeline, yep. right? We need to look at who's actually getting the MBA, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who's actually getting those opportunities. You know, what does the next generation of black, brown and female pipeline, what does it even look like? Yeah. Right. And my brother, we're so lucky to have a guest today who can help us navigate and answer this question slash dilemma, mm-hmm. you know, here. Right. And we are happy to have our sister, Sean Graham. 
the current CEO of the National Black NBA Association, join us today. KP, put a little respect, you know, and shine on Shine's name so our listeners know who they are dealing with today. Absolutely. It'll be my pleasure. So prior to assuming the CEO role, uh, Sean was the CFO for the National Black NBA Association, and she brings a wealth of knowledge and leadership in her 30 years of experience leading global and national corporations in a variety of industries. Her experience wor includes working with global brokerage firms, working on M&A with public traded broadcasting companies. She's trained business managers. She's helped do a lot of accounting, software integrations, and she was previously the CFO for the Fulton uh, DeKalb Hospital Authority. Mm -hmm. Sean graduated from Lehman College with a bachelor's in accounting, and she has her CPA from the Georgia State Board of Accountancy. And she also has a business and executive coaching certification um, from Focal Point in San Diego. And just last year in 2021, Sean was selected to the Atlanta Business League's 100 Women of Influence. You know, you got to be bad. That's Especially a big deal. Atlanta, <laughs> Atlanta, Chocolate City number two. You're right, when, right. When you're on that top 100 list. And in 2022, she received the league's leadership award. She has always been passionate about working with systemically excluded folks and leading one of the preeminent Black organizations talks mm -hmm. of that. And she's done a lot of work in the community, and we are so happy to have uh, Sean with us today. Secrets Village, you know how we do it. So, Sean, welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be here. Um, and you left something out that I think is very, very important. I am the grandmother of seven-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. So let's not forget that. That's, <laughs> right. yeah, that's the most important job. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but seriously, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And we know you're spoiling them. So look, welcome to the show, Sean. We're just happy to be able to have you in the, uh, on the show today. For sure. In today's episode, we'll talk with Sean about her story and career journey. We'll discuss the current MBA landscape and what the pipeline looks like for underrepresented employees. We'll provide some receipts on the current MBA pipeline. And we'll close out with secrets from Sean on the advantage of pursuing an MBA and how companies can build and expand their efforts to develop and recruit underrepresented employees. So this is about to be fire. Yes, okay, so fire. look, so Sean, I want to just kind of jump into to, to the interview uh, questions here as we start to do this. And what we uh, tend to do when we start our shows is we want to give our secrets family or listeners or village some insight on just who they're talking to. I mean, the intro can only do so much. We want them to hear from you. So can you please take a, a moment just to bring our listeners up to speed on who you are, what was your upbringing, educational background, your career journey? Just take us through that. You can start wherever you want to. Okay, well, I will start from the beginning. So I was born and raised in New York City, born in Johnson Projects in Harlem. Uh, from there, I lived in Brooklyn, then the Bronx. So I did touch on a couple of boroughs in my childhood. But during my formative years, I grew up in the New York City public school system. So I am truly from New York City. All right, after high school, you know, I attended uh, the State University of New York at Albany. In my senior year, they cut my financial aid and I transferred to Lehman College, which is where I graduated. Uh, so I graduated with my degree in accounting. 
And even in my senior year, I had to, in order to afford school, I worked full time, I went to school full time. And I did that for two years because even though I transferred in my senior year, you know, when you transfer, you lose credits, um, you have to fulfill additional requirements. Every school have their own sets of requirements. So I was working eight to four in Manhattan, going to school from six to 10, Monday through Thursday, nine to three on Saturdays, uh, just to be able to afford college. And this was, you know, undergrad. From there, you know, I, I got a job, you know, in Manhattan. You know, I, I worked my way up. I worked uh, brokerage firms in New York City. I eventually transitioned, uh, relocated to Atlanta, which was a huge culture shock. You know, being a city girl, moving south, you know, I thought I was a business badass until I hit Atlanta. And they said, no, you have to have 10 more credentials to make $10,000 less than you were making in New York City. So it was a huge shock for me, but you know, I've worked in a variety of industries um, in corporate America as I was climbing a ladder, you know, the whole corporate ladder. Um, so my, my experiences varied from brokerage firms, insurance companies, broadcasting companies, quasi-governmental authorities, and now I'm in a nonprofit sector. Uh, my community efforts, you know, I volunteer on some boards. I'm an advisory. Uh, I, I do advisory services for boards uh, free of charge in the nonprofit sector. I uh, volunteer. So that's that's pretty much in a nutshell, high level, some of my involvements and some of my previous experiences. I appreciate you telling that story because what I hear from the very beginning and the shine that I know this is to be hustling, y'all. The hustle started at a very young age, and it is ingrained into her DNA. So we appreciate you being able to kind of share that story with us. Mm -hmm, for sure. And as part of that journey, you know, obviously as a Black woman, moving through all of those industries, the global, the brokerage firms, the insurance companies, I'm sure you had um, lots of challenges along the way. And I can speak as a fellow finance colleague, accounting colleague, it ain't but so many of us in that field to begin with. So I know, you know, having navigators being the only a lot of times. So did you feel like you had to be twice as good to, to succeed as you were kind of moving through your career? I still feel that way, you know, especially as a black woman. I, I always say that for black women, especially, you know, white males, males in general, but especially white males are hired and promoted based on their potential. But as a sister, we have to always be in a space that we are proving ourselves. We are always having to show how much we accomplished to get a little itty bitty old promotion. So I'm still having to show, you know, I mean, I was told recently, oh, well, you know, you want to be a CEO, but, um, you know, I was accused of thinking with the left side of my brain because I come from, an, I have an accounting background. I always had my game face on because, you know, I'm a CPA, you know, you don't give them the warm and fuzzies, you're about your business. It's a constant challenge, you know, regardless of who I'm in front of, I'm always in a space where I'm always having to prove myself. I've been in the game for well over 30 years. So not just from an accounting perspective, I have coaching certifications. I worked with small business owners to grow their companies. I've uh, done executive coaching for C-suite executives and still, I am having to prove myself. So absolutely, you know, as a black woman, I am always, but you know, honestly, at this point in my life, I don't have to prove anything. 
I don't have, I, and I've been in a game for well over 30 years. I have nothing else to prove. Yeah. Yeah. The crazy part about like what you're, what you're saying is Keith and I talk about as black people and especially as women, BIPOC individuals, you got to check so many boxes just to prove that you're able or worthy of even being able to have the discussion. Okay. Like we're not even talking about getting the job. We're talking about having a conversation about the job. Right. Mm -hmm. And then just all of the accolades that you speak about. And now we're talking about the majority of folks, you know, in corporate America, white people, they barely even got it. They just have to have an aspiration. They got And most times people come to them and say, Hey, have you ever thought about being X? Like, the joy of knowing it's going to all be okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I just got, you know, it's frustrating to be put in a box as a black woman and it's people telling me what I'm capable of doing or what they think I'm capable of doing, but there are so many layers. And if you, if, if people took the time out to have the conversation, to know who you are and what you bring to the table, as opposed to making assumptions, I think that will make people's lives a lot easier in the uh, professional space. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think that that pressure of having to be twice as good and check all the boxes, in some ways, that also makes you a little bit risk averse too to kind of put your neck out a little bit. So how did that play out for you just in terms of of taking risk uh, along the way? Because you do have to stick your neck out a little bit if you're going to get ahead. Uh, well, full transparency, I was one not to take a risk. I'm a CPA, you know, and accountants are not going to take too many risks, mm -hmm. you know, and in growing up in New York City, there used to be a publication called The Chief, and The Chief would tell you what jobs, what government jobs are available, what tests are coming up that's available for you to take. So, you know, for me growing up, you know, being one of the first people in my family, at least on my mom's side of the family, to graduate college, even attend college for that matter and graduate college, you know, but growing up, we were taught to play it safe, get you a good job, get you a good government job, stay for 30 years, get that old good old retirement check. That's how I was raised. You know, not to knock that, but it also introduced a level of work ethic for me, you know, seeing my parents as teenagers and some of the struggles that they've encountered in, in getting that job and getting that, that governmental job and working overtime to make ends meet. You know, I grew up learning not to take any risks. I've grew up, I was raised to not, to play it safe. So that's what I did. You know, I went to school for accounting and got my degree and studied for my CPA. Um, so I've always played it safe and I did not take that risk. Well, actually, let me just backtrack a little bit, because even in the private sector, people would stay on the job for 20 to 30 years. So it wasn't only the government, the private sector back then, I, I was working, I started working back in the 80s. And back in the 80s, the private sector had pension plans. You know, they didn't have as many 401k plans, they had pension plans. So you could work a job and not have to worry about retirement. But times have changed. Because now pension plans, unless you work for the government, whether it's federal, local, or state, is almost non-existent. So you're almost forced as an employee to create your own retirement. So whether it's like 401k, 403b, 457b, I did not pivot in terms of taking a risk until I started my own business. And for an accountant, that was huge to step out, pivot, and start my own business that, was, that had nothing to do with accounting. And it was only then that it was my entire life could just completely change. It catapulted me in areas in which I never thought I would be exposed to. 
It expanded my network. And I never thought in a million years that I would walk away from corporate America during that time in my life. I'm sitting here feeling like I'm listening to a recording of, of like so many different stories, you know, here about how we have been conditioned and raised to be risk averse, you know, right? Like some of those things kind of govern us. But I'm also thinking about the things that maybe you don't even speak about, like why we are end up being risk averse sometimes is, you know, we got so much external stuff to deal with. Like our family's dependent on us for that paycheck, for that help, whatever it is. Or we might be one leak in the roof from being in, in a in a bind or some thing happening to your car, you know, for you to be behind. So again, there's other factors that go into us being risk averse. So I appreciate you being able to say that. But one of the other things that ends up happening is there's so many things that happen once you get in, you know, to the job, right? So Keith and I speak regularly about some of the unspoken challenges that we have faced in uh, corporate America with respect to microaggressions, toxic relationships, all of that kind of stuff. Can you speak to us about some of the challenges that you've had like in your career? Ooh, okay, I've had some challenges. I have had, there were many instances in which I was the only black person in my department. You know, let's start there. Black people, you know, back when I was working, especially in the eighties, worked in operations. White folks was in the more professional quote unquote departments. So, you know, I was working with white folks, but I've been disrespected in those spaces. I would have white executives that would walk through the department straight into their office and not even acknowledge my presence as if I wasn't even sitting there in my cubicle. I've had white executives slam work on my desk, you know, and and attempt to reprimand me. So those were some of the challenges I've had white folks just even question question me in, in ways like I'm an accountant, you know, and I and I pride myself on my work ethic. I pride myself in integrity. But, you know, in white folks, there was a lot of subtle racism throughout the years. And back then, I didn't really, really notice it then. You know, I'm a New Yorker with thick skin. So for me, you know, that wasn't really a big deal. But when I look back on it now, that was subtle racism. That was just disrespectful behavior. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more that I'm just can't even think about right now, but I've encountered a lot throughout the years and a lot of it was settled, was subtle. It was, you know, it was pretty discouraging, but that, that didn't stop me. Yeah, no, no, we're, we're, we appreciate that. I mean, and that's, that's some of that, that microaggressive stuff. Like, again, we're talking about conditioning, right? That's just the way that it is. Are oh, you being sensitive, Sean, you know, just suck it up, you know, this, that, the other, this shit ain't okay now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It wasn't okay then, but now at least we have tools and resources to be able to speak up and advocate, you know, for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, though, we talk about, you know, some of the challenges that you've had. What were one or two triumphant moments that you can kind of think of that that benefited you or probably set the course, you know, for the success in your career? Uh, well, there were a few. And then even even recently, well, not necessarily recently, but one of them was when I stepped away from corporate America and started my own business. You know, and I will say this, and I can't blame corporate America, you know, and I can't always blame other people because sometimes you have to take a couple of steps back and check yourself. You know, what am I doing or what could I do differently? You know, am I being professional enough? So going through that whole uh, process of starting my own business and getting certification and coaching and increase my level of emotional intelligence 
you know, and increase my soft skills and just paying attention and learning how to read the room and learning how to network. That was triumphant for me because I had to be trained. You know, I was in my corporate America world and then being an accountant, you know, I had tunnel vision and I had focused on financial statements without increasing my leadership skills, you know, paying attention to leadership development. So going through that process of starting my own business and being trained in those spaces was very triumphant for me because that helped catapult me to where I am today in my role with at the National Black MBA Association. And even, you know, when I was a CFO. There's a lot of leadership skills that you would have to learn to be in a C-suite. There are a lot of geniuses out there who have no clue as what it is to be a true leader. So, you know, in my opinion, you know, and I'm going to big up myself, I check all the boxes because I have, you know, some of the additional certifications and the experiences and the leadership development as to building and leading my teams in addition to having a skill set to run an organization. And I also like to add, in terms of being uh, triumphant, uh, getting the league leadership award for the Atlanta from the Atlanta Business League, that was huge. To and is nothing more fulfilling. It's it's like getting a BET award. You know, you can get the Grammys. Yeah. <laughs> Your own yeah. people give you an award. It's like wow. You yeah, know, my people are recognizing yeah. me. This this is what it's really about. So yeah. I felt yeah. like I got that BET award when the Atlanta Business League awarded me a league leadership award. That was huge. Cool. No, that's, that's, that's I bet great. it was. That's great. And and we, you know, we talk a lot about executive presence and and what a big impact. And because that's the differentiator from people moving kind of like from mid-level management into executive management. It's it's all the interpersonal things, all of the emotional intelligence things. It's, you got the skill set, the technical skill set. Now it's about building the rest of you up um, or, or in order to move forward. So, and let's talk a little bit about kind of the executive leadership pipeline. Again, we talked about why having an MBA is kind of one of those big differentiators to kind of getting to executive management in the C-suite. And so in your role as CEO for the National Black MBA Association, can you talk about, you know, some of the obstacles that Black people face uh, when trying to get an MBA? Because it's it's... It's definitely not easy. It's not easy. It absolutely is not easy. And for the record, I'm still technically the CFO for National Black and the board appointed me uh, interim CEO. So let's see how that goes. Uh, hopefully you guys are rooting for me to be permanent CEO. But um, I'm happy that the board entrusted, uh, you know, have confidence in me to be able to lead this organization during this time. But in terms of obstacles, you know, yes, obtaining an MBA is very expensive. Black people need access, at least more access to funding separate from student loans. You know, when you think about getting an MBA, the first thing you're thinking about was like, how am I going to be able to afford to get this MBA? They need access to employers who are going to provide tuition reimbursement. You know, they need more programs for their employees to give them to make it optional for them, give you the opportunity to get access to getting that MBA. A lot of corporations have the capability to do that. It would be nice if more if more of them would do that because you know acquiring your MBA number one is difficult in itself. No one wants to be in debt forever, which is normally the case. You know when you're going after your MBA, it's, it's very difficult for Black people. So we need to have more access to resources and funding and corporations who are willing to put themselves out there and put additional funding towards their employees in order for them to acquire their MBA. It's, it's very difficult. It's very costly. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it's crazy that you think about that because it was hard for 
all three of us, you know, when we were thinking about going and getting post bachelor's degrees and, and now you think about where the, the, I wouldn't necessarily say recession, but high inflation. <laughs> okay. With everything being what it is, the cost of living being what it is like people are really making life or death type decisions, livelihood decisions about not pursuing that. And then once you get it, there is no guarantee that you're going to be able to get a job. Like we have people come to us all the time and they say, Hey, for executive coaching, Hey, if I could just get my resume tight, I'd be okay. And we're like, eh, it's so much more to it than just getting your resume, right? Like you got to get the networking piece in, you got to be able to get your mouthpiece tight. You got to know where to go because you think about it, just because you get an MBA, no guarantees. You know, Uh, there's never there's never any guarantees. And I would like for more companies. So at a minimum, have an executive track programs within your organization. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, white folks don't have to worry about executive track programs. You know, but what about the rest of us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we said, it's going to all be okay. You can go through life. I'll be okay. And I remember. You know, when I was getting getting my MBA, the thing that time also is like one of those obstacles, because if you want to go back and get a two year, you know, full time two year, I mean, going without a paycheck for two years, right, is a big deal. And if you don't have the financial foundation Mm -hmm. um, to allow you to take two years off if you wanted to go full time, because that's what you have to do if you want to go to a top. MBA school yeah. and really get that big turbocharged uh, salary increase and that support system network uh-huh. of people who are going to support you throughout your whole career. It's crazy. But I just remember, you know, a lot of my classmates, they came, you know, they had cashed in stock options and he was like, what's that? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> stock options. I'm impressed that they had stock for. options to cash in. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? It's crazy, but that's a. I think that's a real barrier to to uh, people of color, in particular, getting getting an MBA. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you can, uh, Sean, like we're we're talking about obtaining an MBA, you know, doesn't automatically equate to access, you know, and achieving executive success, you know, at that level. How does the National Black MBA, you know, support Black MBA recipients in their journey? to reach like the highest levels of corporate America? Like how how can your organization help in this in this regard? Well, the National Black MBA Association um, has one of the largest professional career expos in the country. You know, we have hundreds of corporate partners throughout the country who will be exhibiting during our conference. We have sponsors, hundreds of sponsors that will be there um, at our conference. We offer a variety of programming throughout the conference. We provide job boards to match members to potential employers. Um, Our corporate partners also provide scheduled job interviews during the actual conference. So there are many opportunities that's available through the National Black MBA Association. We have different tiers for membership from you know, the high school students, you know, with our LOT, which is the leader, which is a mentor and leaders of tomorrow program. We have you know, opportunities for young professionals, grad students, undergrads, entrepreneurs. You know, we have competitions throughout the conference to give entrepreneurs an opportunity to win up to you know, anywhere from $10,000 to $50,000. And since I'm the CFO, we really do award, I've seen checks, $50,000 to some of these entrepreneurs who win these, um, who are able to win these competitions and win money to help grow their own businesses. 
So there's a lot of opportunities, tons of opportunities, you know, throughout our conference and throughout the year. We have programming all throughout the year for our members. Yeah. And then look, and Keith and I can can attest to the programming because we've been involved, you know, in in facilitating some of the programming in terms of getting your marketing collateral right, you know, how to interview, how you know, some of those things about networking. So we appreciate you all um, entrusting us to kind of continue building, you know, those leaders of tomorrow. But again, when we talk about some of the stuff that goes unnoticed, like those items that you just talked about are some of the things that go unnoticed. Like, again, it's not just about getting into the program, like what corporate America does sometimes they they put in the job description, yeah, uh, MBA would be preferred or this, that, and the other. And then they tell you uh, when you ask what all needs to be true for me to move forward. Well, if you really had this MBA, but they don't know about, they don't pay attention to all of the training and the prep and the sacrifice that needs to happen for you to get to the next level. So basically what they did when they say what all needs to be true and you need to get that, they just put a hole in your career aspirations, you know, right there. And the National Black MBA, you know, does tremendous work in terms of getting people, you know, careers, you know, on track and giving them the tools that they need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For sure. One final question for you. What was the moment in your career when you just said to yourself, I got this, I'm good. <laughs> Sean going to be all right. <laughs> you know what? It's funny you asked that because I said that recently, you know, again, I'm the CFO, but um, being appointed by the board, you know, as the interim CEO, I, you know, once I received that phone call, there was some anxiety there. And then I walked into the office and some of my team members, you know, they looked at me, they smile and they whisper, you know, we're so glad we're, we're glad, you know, that you're going to be the CEO. We're glad it's you, you know, and I walked into my office and I smiled and I'm like, yeah, you know, I got this, you know, I got, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I got this. So, you know, it was just like some vote of confidence with even my team within, you know, within um, you know, with all the staff who look up to me and who I've been working with and working with on trying to develop and grow them. So, um, yeah, I got this. Yeah, and, and we appreciate that. And I think the other thing that, that that we know is, man, you got your village behind you too, right? Because we ain't going to let our sister, right. we ain't gonna let our sister right. fail. We ain't going to let our sister <laughs> fail. But, man, we're we going to make sure you get everything you need to be successful, you know, uh, in this role and in all, you know, endeavors after this. But this is the one part where we kind of like move out of like the interview questions, so to speak here, Sean. And, and what we pride ourselves on doing is providing receipts as to why things are the way that they are. So today, uh, the sequence that we're going to, to talk about today is we're just going to share receipts on the current MBA pipeline and how that will impact the future leadership of corporate America. So Keith, let's just start out and hit them with receipt number one. Cause you know, at the end of the day, Keith, we aren't crazy. No, no, <laughs> we're a little crazy, but we ain't <laughs> Receipt number one, um, as we talked about, I mean, having an MBA is not a bad thing at the end of the day. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. And according to a Statistica survey of nearly a thousand of the largest companies in the world, 92% of them reported that they plan to hire at least one MBA in 2022. Mm. And in 2021, 97% of them did hire at least one MBA. So global companies all over, you know, they're looking for this type That's of the pool. talent. Mm -hmm. That's the pool who they're pulling from and to put into um, some of their leadership. 
And those stats, 92%, 97%, they're 15 to 20 points higher than they were, you know, at any point over the past 15 years. So the demand for people who have MBA is actually uh, increasing with these global companies. So again, if you don't think it matters, yeah. it really does. They're not really promoting it, but mm -hmm. they are tapping people left and right and saying, hey, get your MBA, we'll pay for it. Yeah. Like get your MBA. We'll take take yeah. care of this. And you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like and, and these people that they're bringing in with the MBAs start to feed, as you talk about the pipeline, but also the succession plan. Yes. You know, these this is this is where it all starts. Mm -hmm. Look, receipt number two. That all sounds good, KP. OK, but like looking uh, under the hood presents another picture, you know, for us here. Right. When we peel back the onion, as we look at the pipeline of the current MBA Pool. According to stats compiled by Zipia, 67% of current NBA candidates are male. 69% are white, with 13% Asian, 10% Latinx, and only 5% Black. And the wage gap continues with Black NBA candidates receiving the lowest pay offers of any group. So this is my WTF moment. That's right. Okay. Like I'm trying to, you know, I get mad when I read some stuff and that shit right there, it kind of starts sticking with me a little bit, but that's real, that's you know, real. there. That's real. But that's, that's the connecting the dots piece that we yep. talk about all the time. So if we know that people who get MBAs are moving into executive leadership and the most likely ones to move into executive leadership, the stats are the same as everything else. We know that 71% of the C-suite is white. Yep. We know that, you know, 69% of it is male. These are very close numbers to this pipeline. We know 3% of executive leaders are black. Mm -hmm. This That stat right there shows the train. The, tra the train ain't changing. No, it's and not. Not right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. and, and again, look, I know folks think we making shit up, Keith, here. We're not. You know what I'm saying? At the end, at the end of the day, like, numbers don't lie. Numbers don't tell lie. Them, and, 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 and what we're doing, you know, this is part of our, our mantra secrets is the revolution is being televised. That's right. Like we like don't tell us something. Don't let us find out something because we're going to run. Tell it. We're going to tell everybody. Keith, hit us with the last. Run tell you. Run tell that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Sean. We're going to tell it all. That's right. And on receipt number three, Sean, we'll have you chime in here for sure, because we looked at the demographics of the National Black MBA Association and just noticed some interesting things um, as well. 49% of your membership is female, 71% is black, and just only 51% of your members actually have an MBA. So, you know, again, despite the title of the organization, you know, you don't have to have an MBA to be mm -hmm. a member. You don't have to just be black and those types of things. So I'm just curious about your perspective on these statistics and how you may want to influence those during your tenure with the, with the organization. You know, well, well, keep in mind, as I've stated earlier, you know, we don't offer membership for strictly MBA students. I think when people hear National Black MBA, the assumption is you have to have an MBA to be a part of this organization. The National Black MBA Association is a 52-year-old organization. 52 years, and it was started by Black MBA students back in 1970. 
because there weren't very many students or people who looked like us who were pursuing their MBA during that time. So, you know, you had these college students out of Chicago that got together that started this organization. And here we are 52 years later, it's grown into, uh, it's, it's just grown tremendously. So now we have, you know, 41 chapters across the country, tens of thousands of members, you know, including, you know, starting at the high school level, you know, if you would see, uh, our Leaders of Tomorrow program, watching these students up on a stage with these Harvard cases and presenting is phenomenal. So we are already preparing students for you know, the executive space at that age because they will remember those experiences. They will remember those mentoring experiences. Even with the undergrads, you know, we are increasing the number of collegiate partners. We're looking to increase the number of HBCU partners that we have and increasing the demographics because our corporate partners, you know, with all sincerity, are trying to hire more black folks. Talented black folks, you know, they can't, you know, they have a tendency to say, oh, we want to hire, you know, qualified blacks who can't find them. Uh, yes, you can. You're not looking. We have tens of thousands of them, right, that that are members of the National Black MBA Association. So, you know, as my interim role and hopefully, you know, eventually being permanent CEO, there's a lot of ideas that I have. You know, we have 41 chapters. And so I'm looking to tap into those chapters and do more collaboration because it can't just be done at headquarters, the headquarters space. You know, there's a lot of great work. I just came back from Chicago this morning. I was spending time with the Chicago chapter as they were, um, they facilitated a business leadership institute yesterday. They had a miniature career fair um, and to look to see the work that the chapter presidents are doing to provide additional opportunities for our members, workshops for our members, you know, providing richer programs and access to resources and increasing the number of scholarships to our members. You know, there are so many things that we are working on and doing um, that we're currently doing and we're continuing so do this tenfold, increasing their access to resources, assistance with their academic and professional journey. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm excited about this, and I, and I think that I'm I'm excited about the future. You know, uh, here, right? Because again, I feel like this is one of those scenarios where we are starting to get on code. Everybody is starting to understand. In order for you to get to the next level. This is what you got to do, right? Like, and these are some of the resources available to you. But as we start speaking about, you know, resources, like, I'm, look, we've talked about your journey. We've we've shared some receipts, you know, in terms of why we are and why we work so tirelessly hard to try to change the game. Right now, we want to kind of just maybe switch into some of the secrets here. We want to go into maybe some solutions. So, again, we have a double dose of secrets for you today. And we're going to allow Sean to provide, you know, her secrets on the advantages of underrepresented people uh, pursuing an MBA. And then we'll close out the episode with three additional secrets from uh, Sean on how companies can build and expand their efforts to develop and recruit underrepresented employees. I know she's shared a lot of that already, but mm -hmm. we're going to cover some of that stuff again for executive leadership roles. So, Sean, what would you recommend for Black people and other underrepresented people who are looking to pursue an MBA and why does it matter? Well, an MBA matters. And the uh, the best analogy that I can use is being a CPA. I can have an accounting degree and get a job as an accountant, but that certification, getting that CPA makes me more marketable. It puts me in a position to make more money. 
So getting your, your MBA will help put you on management track faster. And there are no guarantees. It's what you put into it, but it will assist you to get on the management track a lot faster. It will increase your marketability. You know, it will also expand your job opportunities. So there's nothing that's guaranteed, but it's, you know, again, like I said, it's the work that you put into it. And I would also like to add to that, you know, while you're on that journey, if you do nothing else, expand your network, because it's also about if you can combine that with who you know, that's critical. That's absolutely critical. Yeah, and that all that all makes sense. And I, I can speak to it just personally. You know, I was very intentional about wanting to go to a top 25 school because I had just done research and just seen the opportunities that come in terms of pay, mm -hmm. um, in terms of opportunities, and really in terms of that network, because that network piece is a lifelong thing. You know, people find out, hey, I went to Indiana. I just get people out of the blue just calling all the time about, hey, there's that, you know, I saw that you, you know, MBA finance from, from IU. Uh, do you want to do this or, you know, be a part of this group or whatever the case may be, because that's the biggest piece out of all of it. Yeah, you get that boost in pay um, at the jump, but then you got to work to keep that keep mm -hmm. that going. But the network never dies. Your network is your net worth. That's right. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it, it absolutely die. is. That's right. Uh -huh. <laughs> it won't die. And so those are all great, great, great secrets um, for, for individuals and why um, it matters to have an MBA. What advice would you give the companies in terms of how to build and expand their efforts in terms of developing black talent? Well, there's a lot of things that they can do. You know, you know, we talk about being unrepresented, but we have to take that a step further. A lot of companies, we're not just underrepresented. It's intentional exclusion. A lot of companies are intentionally excluding us. So we may perceive it as being underrepresented. We don't have to be underrepresented if they do what they're supposed to do. So a lot of, you know, we need to, we need to, we need to challenge these companies, put your money where your mouth is. All the social justice matters that have occurred, you know, especially since the rise of, 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 of George Floyd and even prior to that, you know, they want to do all these things. You have seen DE&I officers pop up like you're planting trees. You know, every time I turn around, you see another DNI. But what are they doing with that? Are they providing those DNI officers or executives or managers with the tools and resources that they need to be successful in their role in their roles with DNI? You know, they want to be perceived as being progressive. So let me go ahead and get a good old DNI person here at the company to show that we are doing something. But put your money where your mouth is. You know, provide more. You know, executive track programs within your institution. You know, um, or your or your organization. Become a corporate partner with the National Black MBA Association. We have a lot of members. We have. You know, we provide scholarship funding. Become that corporate partners. You know, we're more than our annual conference. We can provide the year-round programming, and we can give those corporations access to talented Black professionals. And I also say, you know, when you hire that Black executive, you need to hear them. Don't just say, hey, you know, I got a Black person in the corner office. You need to hear them and hear what they bring to the table. Don't just check the box because you hired this a Black executive. Don't hire them to fill a quota. You know, you need to make sure that you are allowing them to bring forth ideas and include them in the decision making process. 
Woo, girl, girl. I, hey, hey, I, I had a little PTSD as she was talking about what what you should be doing when you hire black executives, right? And and providing that psychological safety and being able to provide resources. Because what we say is, when you put people in those roles, Sean, and you don't. And, and when corporate America doesn't do the things that you've just uh, asked for, it's a glass cliff opportunity. How can you be successful? <laughs> you know? I, I suggest I suggest go ahead and go after even on your podcast, go after some of those folks who are hiding in a DEI space and ask them, even if they've left that DEI space, find out why. Mm-hmm. And find out what those organizations or those companies are doing differently since right. they brought them on board and seeing if they have the tools because I, you know, I, I speak to a lot of my peers in that space and a lot of them are frustrated. Mm-hmm. They were hired in that space, but they are frustrated because those organizations, they're just checking the box Literally. and they're not providing them with the tools to be successful in their roles. They are not really doing true DE&I work because the organizations are not allowing them to. Yeah. All they're doing is checking a box. Yeah, and that's and that's again that's those performative acts. That's right. You know, and we know that in finance, you know, you you fund what you value at yeah. the end of the that's day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we know Sean and Keith know about this. That's right. Since y'all looking at the books, <laughs> I see that. I you know the numbers don't lie. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So the numbers look, don't lie. Sean, <laughs> sister, this mic is smoking right now, right? Because. You did your damn thing today, right? I am just so appreciative. Secrets Village, told you we ain't playing we ain't in season five. We, we don't play at all, but as we starting to really, really hone in on some things, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep doing it. So, Sean, we sincerely appreciate you uh, being with us today. How can your new Secrets Village get in contact with you and help the uh, National Black NBA Association? Well, I don't know if I want to give out all my information on the air. But but at a minimum, you know, go to our website, mm-hmm. www. It's https colon forward slash nbnbaa.org. I know those are a lot of uh letters, uh consonants in the beginning. NBMBAA.org. It has information on there about our conference who we are, our programs, upcoming events, resources that are available, scholarship opportunities that you could apply for, fellowship opportunities that are out there, competitions for entrepreneurs, go to our website. And if you absolutely want to contact me directly, you can reach me at sean.gram, I'm not shy, sean, S-H-A-W-N, dot gram, as in graham cracker, at nbnbaa.org no that's cool and then we'll we'll also uh make sure that we uh send out a link you know to our village so that they can hit you on linkedin you know whatnot okay, great so, perfect yeah so so but again mm-hmm. we're just so doggone appreciative that you've been able to be with us today. yeah yeah i'll extend my i appreciate pay. it yes thank you i appreciate i appreciate the invite um this was wonderful Mm-hmm. This was absolutely wonderful. All right. We'll have to get you out here to the Bay Area with the San Francisco chapter. And do- I, I'm ready. So. <laughs> I am ready. You ain't say nothing but a word. There you go. <laughs> and if y'all like what we were talking about today, you can find more resources about uh, the receipts and, and secrets we talked about today by going to our website, uh, www.secrets.com, and look in those show notes. Uh, we'll have Sean's uh, 
contact information in there as well as other information for you. And look, and Sean, you are officially in the Secrets Village, okay? And our, <laughs> and our Secrets Village just continues to grow because of people like you who are coming on here and so willing to share their story and because of our listeners. So help your brothers out by writing a review on Apple or Spotify or joining our LinkedIn group and commenting on our post on all your favorite social media channels. Those comments help us and also set up to be set you up to be a thought leader because you are in the know and, and leading the conversation and discussion. Absolutely. And check out our merchandise. Go to the goods tab on our website to see our latest gear. We're always updating those designs. That hot fire one, I'm telling you. That was, yeah. That was, that was, yeah. That was, I like that. I, I'm liking the Secrets t-shirt you have on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the swag bag, is, the swag bag swag is coming bag your is way, Sean. Right. Swag <laughs> bag is coming your way. <laughs> That's right. And y'all know the Ricky and I are locked in on helping y'all get your coin. So to date, we've helped folks get over $4 million in, in compensation increases oh, wow. uh, since we launched. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. <laughs> and we're trying to get a lot more because we need to build our generational wealth mm -hmm. as some people. So again, hit us up for personal coaching or if you want us to come to your organization and do some training, whatever the case may be, to make sure that you're getting the tools that you need to move up the career ladder. And before we sign off, I want to thank uh, Sean Graham once again for being with us today. That Brooklyn realness was shining bright like a diamond today. We've been talking about... He's sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've been talking about filling up uh, the, the, the leadership pipeline, but right now... I'm all about filling up this empty cup. And and Sean, we got a beef to uh to 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 pick because I did see that empty cake platter over here that Keith made a cake, y'all, and didn't share the shit. So 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 we're gonna have to get off and talk about this. <laughs> but look, so I, I just want to make sure that everybody understands until the next time that we get with you all. Thank you so much for listening to Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Take Peace. care, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yet another episode of Secrets. In fact, one listener said that with Secrets, I learned new, actionable information listening to KP and PR. I enjoy the balance of data with the testimony of real experience, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please show these brothers some love. Subscribe and write a review on our podcast. And last, but certainly not least, elevate your professional game by signing up for our executive coaching services. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when we share, you transform. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>